every time I go out there, it's just inspiring. The same red-tailed hawk is always there. And one day I was out there, and it was uh, we were getting ready to plant the prairie the next week. I, I do a lot of these sort of you know homemade videos, you know, hold the camera up, and I said, "Hey, y'all, this is Dr. Estes, you know, executive director of SGI. I'm out here at Google Prairie. We're excited. We're going to be planting this thing tomorrow." And I looked up and I saw this hawk, and I said, "Oh, there!" And you, Mr. Hawk, you're going to have prairie voles and meadow jumping mice that you'll be able to eat. And all of a sudden, as soon as I stopped, it just went. Whoosh, and just called out. And I said, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's part of the plans that we're developing with uh, the Google Data Center. This is Where the Internet Lives, a show about the unseen world of data centers. I'm Stephanie Wong, and I'm your guide to the people and places that make up the internet. This season, we're exploring how data centers change the world around them in surprising and transformative ways. Blockchain, NFTs, AI. What does this mean for you and me? I'm Sherelle Dorsey, host of the TED Tech Podcast, where we bring you the latest innovations and biggest ideas in tech. Tech is evolving fast and it affects our lives, from the metaverse to the watches on our wrists. You'll learn why people in AI make good business partners, about our future self-driving robo-taxi, what the next generation of Siri, Alexa, Google looks like, and a lot more. Find TED Tech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Danny Lewis. And I'm Alex Osala. On The Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything podcast, we explore the projects reimagining the world of tomorrow like using sound to rejuvenate coral reefs. Moving microchips beyond silicon. Silicon is no longer energy efficient. And how animals are helping treat human diseases. The future of everything is happening right now. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Dwayne Estes is a botanist. He's a professor of biology at Austin P. State University's Center of Excellence for Field Biology in Clarksville, Tennessee. And he's the co-founder and executive director of the Southeastern Grasslands Institute. Our mission is saving the forgotten grasslands of the Southeast. It's a mix of research and working on the ground, doing actual restoration, influencing policy. It's got a lot to it, and it's a really fun job. It's also the kind of job that requires Dwayne to have a very good memory for names and for the past. You see a cornfield that most people who pass by it every day just say, oh, look, there's a cornfield. But to a trained ecologist, you see what was once a vibrant prairie. And if you've ever walked in one of those prairies and you've smelled it and you've heard it and you know its sounds. And then on top of that, if you know every species by name, imagine that. If you walked into a crowded room, a party, and you... Most people would walk into a room and do pretty good to know 20 people's names, right? But us botanists can walk into a prairie and we can tell you 367 names in one place off the top of our head because we know these species like they're our best friends. Dwayne became friends with those plants and animals at a very early age, growing up in the rural Southeast where he spent most of his time in the woods. But his formal introduction came in the sixth grade. I had this fanciful idea that I was going to, that year was going to be different, right? I was going to get a girlfriend. I was going to make straight A's. And so I went to the library. It was like the library day at school. And I went, went in and I said, I'm going to read every book in the middle school library. And the very next book that I pulled off the shelf utterly changed my life. 
It was about the Native American wild plant foods. And it just, it was so informative. And so it just struck me and I took it home and I devoured it from cover to cover. And from then on, I began to study plants three hours a day, every day, all the way through the rest of middle school, high school, into college, and totally nerded out over plants. That love of plants turned into a full-blown career as a botanist. Duane went on to get his PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology, and he's even discovered more than 10 new plant species during his career. Duane has a deep passion for grasslands. There are over 100 types of grasslands in the southeastern U.S. alone, from wide-open prairies with tall grass to savannas with scattered trees to mountaintop grasslands that were frozen tundras in the Ice Age. You can think of Duane as a bit of an ecological time traveler. We like to say that most of our southern grasslands have been gone so long that they were destroyed before the camera was invented. I mean, you got to go back to what, like 1840-something <laughs> to get back that far. The Southeast has lost 90% of its grasslands since the 1800s. Duane has dedicated his career to the restoration of these ecosystems. And for good reason. They're incredibly important for wildlife diversity and carbon sequestration. When you get into these places, what strikes me as a botanist is they're full of life. I mean, they are the most life-rich places you can imagine. You can, you can hear insects, the sounds just buzzing, beautiful flowers that grow nowhere else in the world except maybe that grassland. They're really cool, micro, sometimes micro-scale communities that are very easy to overlook and easy to damage. Now, you might be wondering what grasslands have to do with data centers. It turns out, Google has a data center in Clarksville, Tennessee, an area that was once a vast prairie prior to the 1800s. And the Southeastern Grasslands Institute is working with Google to transform 100 acres of land around the data center back into a long-lost grassland. The digital future is weaving with the ecological past in Clarksville. It's a past that's been misinterpreted or forgotten. I remember my Tennessee history teacher, Tommy John, saying that at the time the first Europeans landed on the shores of, of America, whether it's St. Augustine or Plymouth, you know, or um, Roanoke, how they encountered just a vast wall of forest. And that, that forest extended all the way to the Mississippi River and beyond in some cases. And that those forests were so dense and vast that a squirrel could travel from the Atlantic to the Mississippi without ever touching the ground, just right through the treetops. And I thought about that, and that's the perception I had for a good 20 years, that that's the way the U.S. landscape looked like in the East. And then, as I became educated on the subject and became a professional botanist, I began to realize that that's not in any way, shape, or form supported by the facts of American history or of science. It's just not substantiated. And what the reality is then is that the Eastern landscape was this gorgeous mosaic there were exquisite forests of old growth. There were open prairies. But so much of the landscape, probably at least half of the eastern landscape, was open with scattered trees as savannas and open woodlands. You would have seen bison, elk, red wolves, mountain lions. Fires would have burned across a lot of the landscape. And species that we don't think of that much anymore as being super important like beaver, were critical to, the, to that landscape. And of course, you know, prior to the arrival of Europeans, um, there were dozens upon dozens of Native American tribes who lived in, hunted in, 
uh, interacted with these landscapes. Those grasslands, prairies, savannas, glades, etc., were and are incredibly biodiverse, home to hundreds of plant species. They sequester carbon in their extensive root systems and help restore and filter groundwater. And although they once covered an estimated 120 million acres across the Southeast, most of them are gone. Settlers brought with them livestock, which overgrazed the grasslands and suppressed the fires that are critical to maintaining these ecosystems. Centuries later, many of the grasslands that weren't destroyed by agriculture or industrial development have grown back into hardwood forests. The majority of the landscapes, the habitats, and the species that need our help the most in the eastern central United States, in the southeastern U.S., that they, they need open habitats. They need prairies and savannas and grasslands. And so when, I, when that realization set in, I was like, wow, it really caused me to look totally differently at that whole myth of the squirrel and, you know, could that be true? And, and it forced me to reconcile that there must have been historically extensive open areas for all these rare species to exist. And now what we're finding is that, you know, most of those have, have lost at least 90 to 99% of their habitat. So from a professional academic standpoint, that was a major driver for my career over the last 10 to 15 years. Your mission to save these ecosystems started in 2014, right? And in a very personal way. So can you tell us the story of how you committed to restoring grasslands? It was a particularly sort of difficult winter of uh, 2014 going into 2015. I just had a brand new baby boy who was born who needed open heart surgery. And I thought, man, I just need a break. I just need, I need to reconnect with nature. And I live in a neighborhood where I can't really get the connection that I need. And so I was sitting there at the kitchen table with my little girls one day on this cold early March day. And I looked at them and I said, girls, look out there in the backyard. We were sitting at the table and like coloring. I said, do you know that our backyard used to be prairie? Yeah, it was called the Big Barrens. It, it was historically 3.7 million acres. It was the size of like Connecticut. And, you know, I'm talking to a six and an eight year old, you know. And they're like, really, daddy? I was like, yeah, see out there in the backyard, right there in front of the privacy fence? There would have been greater prairie chickens dancing in our backyard in, in 200 years ago. Whoa, really, Daddy? That's so cool. I said, you know, what Daddy needs today is I need a, I need a hike. And they said, I don't know, Daddy. We're not really wanting to go anywhere. I said, yeah, come on, let's go. We're going to drive to Baker Prairie Natural Area in Russellville, Kentucky. And we're going to have fun, and we're going to get out and enjoy nature. So we did it. We got up there, and we get to this prairie. And it was just, it's exactly what I needed. And that day, almost like that book that I pulled off the shelf in the sixth grade, that day changed my life. Because it was in that moment when I was with my girls and their blonde hair was shining in the golden grasses of that remnant prairie, the last of its kind, that I realized that most communities in the Southeast, that especially those that historically, like Clarksville, were located in former prairie landscapes, and this could be Montgomery, Alabama. It could be Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It could be Austin, Texas. Most people in these eastern cities don't realize what they've lost. But I do because I've got the ecological training. And it just cut me to the bone. It wasn't about just being in prairie. It was providing the healing that I needed to be okay and to be mentally well on that cold day and to, to deal with life. That's when it clicked. 
Dwayne decided he was going to start restoring a prairie piece by piece. And so I pledged to them right then and there. I said, Daddy's going to work to start creating prairies back in our town. And they're like, oh, wow, Daddy, that's great. How are you going to do that? And my wife's like, how are you going to do that? You got a plan? I said, not yet. Just, just hang tight. We'll figure it out. So Dwayne went to work. But how do you reconstruct an entire ecosystem anyway? He needed to find a few key ingredients. Native prairie plants, land, and the labor to make it happen. He made some phone calls and soon teamed up with a local company, Roundstone Native Seed, that sold native prairie seeds as well as a state park in Clarksville called Dunbar Cave State Park. The seed company agreed to donate the seeds and the labor, and the state park agreed to let him try his project out on a 15-acre parcel of land. And they started planting. The Southeastern Grasslands Institute was born. It was in 2017, after we had just planted that first prairie, that um, I got a call. I swear, I remember it. <laughs> people, people have probed me on this a little bit. I said, you sure about this? I said, I promise you. I got a call from Google. It was like a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Time. That call was the start of a partnership between the Southeastern Grasslands Institute and Google. So Lylan Hester from the Chapel Hill office, uh, she called me. And she says, you know, Google's just moved to town. Our new data center's there. And we were meeting with the university to talk about possible, you know, um, investments we can make in the community. And she said, your, your president told us about your organization that's part of the university, the Southeastern Grasslands Institute. And um, we think it sounds pretty cool. And we'd like to know more. And I said, well, I'm ha- happy to tell you more. So you didn't have to go to the fence around the data center and like start talking really loudly about grasslands to get Google's attention? No. And what's so crazy about it, that little neighborhood I lived in is literally about a half a mile or less as the crow flies from the Google data center. Well, she turned around and said, you know, what could you do for about 100000 And that was exactly what we needed. That enabled us to create 50 acres of prairie there at the Google data center in Clarksville. And that gave us our second prairie, but it also gave us our biggest prairie to date. Nearly three years on, Dwayne and his team have transformed the land around the data center into a blossoming prairie. We planted that in July 2020, right in the heart of the pandemic. And um, we're now, we've just completed the third year of growth. It's functioning. It's attracting biodiversity. It's sequestering carbon. It's serving its purpose. There are now plans to extend the prairie to 105 acres around the data center. I mean, 100 acres of prairie, is it, it's not a lot in the sense of when you lost 3.7 million acres, but it's a lot for our region. And uh, there's no one else that's planting 100 acres of prairie uh, in these kinds of landscapes. So what Google has allowed us to do and has funded us to do is unique But for Dwayne, the vision for prairie restoration extends beyond just one data center. He wants to ensure that these diverse native grasslands in almost half of American states are growing and healthy well into the next century. So, you know, we're giving ourselves four or five years to do 10,000 acres. But we're, we're putting together collaborators and partnerships and funders who want to dream big with us so that, you know, by 2030 or, you know, by 2040, we can be looking at doing 100,000 acres of grasslands conservation. We've got to be really up in the scale by mid-century in order to tip the balance and actually give grasslands a fighting chance again. So 
Thinking bigger to corporate landscapes, how do you see them playing a role in this expansion? I mean, when we imagine the corporate office, it's full of perfectly cut grass and bushes. So what kind of opportunities do we have to transform landscapes like the one at the Clarksville Data Center? You know, I think corporate landscapes are the greatest, one of the greatest sort of unrealized potential areas for conservation in America. A hundred acres around one corporation that's just mowed five, ten times a year. There could be something that's natural, healthy, biodiverse, easy to maintain. It could be in strips between adjacent factories. It could be along highways. There's just so much more potential we can be doing. And I think you can drive in anywhere USA and see those opportunities left and right. I think that would be an amazing, show amazing leadership to other corporations around the United States and around the world about how you can actually um, have beautiful, healthy, inspiring landscapes right outside your office window that are functioning as they should for biodiversity. Dwayne Estes is the co-founder and executive director of the Southeastern Grasslands Institute. If you want to see what the restored prairie around the Clarksville, Tennessee data center looks like, we have a companion documentary. It's linked in the show notes, and you can find it on YouTube on the Google Data Center's page. Where the Internet Lives is produced by PostScript Media in collaboration with Google. You can subscribe to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you access your shows. And give us a rating if you like the series. I'm Stephanie Wong. Thank you for listening. <laughs>